The following audio is recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. And if you have your Bibles, if you could grab them, open with me to 1 Timothy. Um, We are almost at the end. Like, we're getting so, so close to the end. Um, And uh, listen, if you're you're just kind of catching up to where we are in the season, we are only a couple weeks away from Thanksgiving and the Advent season. It's all here. And um, starting... November 26th, we are going to start into the Advent season together as a church. And, and so what that means is we're going to finish 1 Timothy before then. It's crazy. We're, we're almost there. But it's starting November 26th, we're getting into um, the Advent season. We're going to start a brand new book. This is going to be a huge undertaking for us as a church, um, this, new, this new book. We're going to be turning to the book of Matthew. This book is uh, going to walk us through so much, through the life of Jesus, through his works, his miracles, talking about the kingdom of God coming to earth, Jesus the King. It's an incredible book, and um, I hope you're able to be a part of it. I hope that you have perfect attendance for the next several years as we, uh, <laughs> as we go through this book. Um, I'm really excited. And... and um, Listen, one of the things that we are doing that is special is we have purchased one of these for everyone in our church. And um, it's our gift to you. No strings are attached to this. Um, other than, again, you know, you, you are saying you will be in attendance perfectly, you know, every, every week. But outside of that, joking, of course, there's no strings attached. I want to encourage you to... to Pick one up. And let me tell you the reason we've done this, by the way. I think it's important. Um, the first reason, I'm going to give you three, but the first reason is that we believe this is the word of God. And it is our great joy, our great privilege to put the word of God in as many people's hands as we can possibly do it. And this is our way, one way that we can do that. Um, we love this. Uh, number two is because we want to give you a tool in your hands. Now, I might be weird, but if you were to look at my Bible, there's no markups. And I'm a weirdo. I just can't get myself to do it. I can't. What if I mess up? And then I'm like, oh, I have this mess up on this page. I'm a weirdo. Maybe you're a weirdo like me. I don't know. Maybe you're normal. I I don't know. Um, But you know what is great to mark up? That. This we are giving to you to be a tool. That you can, if you're weird like me or not, um, go through this text, making notes and um, doing it in your way so you can reference it as a tool to go, to go deeper. And then the, the, the third reason, lastly, is we believe that preaching here is not a spectator sport. And what I mean by that is, is that we want to encourage you to engage as we walk through books of the Bible together to be able to dig, to take your notes. For some of you, you're more artistic than others and to take those artistic notes, whatever that looks like to engage in this time. And um, this is a way that you can do that. 
and reference it over the course of however long it takes us to get through this book. And so um, we're excited to give this out. Um, we only ask one thing of you, and that is to let us know that you want one. Um, that's it. This will make sure that we have the right amount and always have the right amount for new people who join us along the way. So the way you do that, stonebible.com slash Matthew, if you haven't already done it. Um, we have a copy for you, every single one of you. If you're here and you're asking, does, does he mean me? The answer is yes. We have a copy for you. Register. Just let us know you want one. And we have it for you today, actually. Right over there. You can grab it on your, on your, way, on your way out. All right. This morning, we get to turn to our text, 1 Timothy uh, 6, 17 through 19. Before I read it, before we read it together... Um, I'd like to share a few statistics with us. Um, I looked up some demographic reports this week, and um, I started with our community. So I looked at the three predominant zip codes for our community, North Central San Antonio, Stone Oak area. And um, I did simple math because that's the only, at this stage of my life, that's the only kind of math that I am able to do. And um, I found this, the median household income, annual income for the three predominant zip codes in our community is $116,665. Okay, so... Obviously, there are some who are lower and some who are higher. They tell me that is the way averages work, so obviously that's true. Um, but 116,665. So it got me thinking, like, how does that compare? How does that compare? So zoom out a little bit, and let's think about our city as a whole, San Antonio. Well, as of 2022, the median annual household income for a household in San Antonio was 53,420. So uh, math, again, is not my thing, but even I know that that is over double. Okay? Let's get a bigger perspective. Let's zoom out. As of 2022, the uh, annual household income for the state of Texas, 74,640. Zoom out again. National average, 74,580. Let's zoom out one more. The global annual median household income, that's a mouthful, 12,235. Okay, here is why I share this. Um, I am not sharing this to shame you for making money or living in a community like ours. I love our community. I, I really do. I love where I live. I love being able to raise my family here. It's an awesome place. I'm not here to shame you for that. We've already seen in a few verses already as we walk through this, money's not the real problem. Never has been. Um, the real problem is the heart, the love of money above all else, the pursuit of money above all else. That's the problem. So it's not to shame you. If God has blessed you with money, use it for his glory. Scripture, I will say, says this over and over again in different ways. Uh, money makes a really lousy God. So keep Christ as your hope and pursue him. So this isn't to shame you, but here's why I wanted to start here with this. Um, 
I wanted to give you a good perspective of yourself. As we live in a community, what happens is, and this is only natural, we begin to normalize what we see. Begin to normal. It's only natural. We look around at our stuff, our houses, our communities, and we normalize our standard of living. Again, this is, this is normal. But over time, what happens is we may, even without noticing, begin to face some of the same temptations that our community faces. For example, we may feel this pull. It's like, where did that come from? To keep up with the Joneses. If your last name is the Joneses, I bet you've hated that expression, but um, you know what I mean. Uh, feel this crazy pull maybe toward materialism or consumerism, whatever it may be. Um, and here's what, what happens is we, as we collectively run this race of life together, we normalize what's normal for our community. It's only natural that we do this. We acclimate to the culture around us. And, and why is that? Well, um, we're going to see more of this later, but what I would argue is that you and I are being formed or shaped by the culture of which we are a part. I could argue malformed, misshaped by the culture of which we are a part, but you are being shaped. And so because of this, you often are blind to some of the most predominant temptations that you face. In other words, the sins of our culture tend to become our own blind spots. It is my prayer that through the word of God and through the spirit of God that we will be able to have a light shine in on our heart as we hold up a mirror to our lives that we may see clearly. And I believe that the text we're going to look at today is one of those texts that cause us to examine ourselves that we may see clearly um, that we will be able to follow Christ more fully in our lives today. So we're going to be looking at three verses, 17, 18, and 19. And I want to read them together. And then we'll pray, all right? So verse 17 says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. All right, let's pray together. God, I, um, we come to this text and we ask that you would, as we've talked about, illuminate our hearts with your spirit. Would you show us areas in our life that we need to bring in conformity to your word? And would you help us to walk in your word for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So Paul is addressing in this text the rich, those who are already wealthy. And, and um, I guess the word rich is a, it's a relative term, isn't it? 
Um, you may be here living in this community and you may not think of yourself as, hey, I'm wealthy. You might not. Um, most likely, you probably don't. You might look around and just think that you're kind of average or you might look around at the community and think, well, I'm kind of struggling a little bit right now. Um, you may think all those things. Wherever you are, however you see yourself, there are more than 8 billion people on the planet today. And do you know what that stat, do you know what that tells us? It tells us that the majority of those 8 billion people think you are relatively wealthy. It's crazy to think about. And so Paul says this, and I'm going to argue, says this to you, to us, collectively here in our community. He says, verse 17, as for the rich in this present age. Now, one more thing with this. I want to highlight just one, that qualifier, this present age. Listen, church, this is a reminder that it is quite possible to be very wealthy in this life and to have wealth in this present age and to be bankrupt in the life to come. It is very possible to be banking in the present and bankrupt in the future. That's very possible. It's also possible to flip that and to be struggling today. And to know that your hope is eternal wealth in Christ for all eternity. But what Paul's doing here is drawing us to the riches of this present age. Because they're different from the riches to come. He says, as for you, as for us, rich in this present age. And here's what he's going to do with the rest of our text. He's going to give us four commands and two outcomes. Four commands, two outcomes. Um, and I want to start with the commands. Four commands. Let's go to command number one. We see it in the text. It says, charge them not to be haughty. Charge those who are wealthy not to be haughty. Arrogant. I use the word, I don't know if this is a real word, snooty. Don't be snooty. Charge them not to think of themselves as being higher than those around them. So here's how this works. I think we all have a way of doing this. Um, we tend to compare everyone else to ourselves. Right? And, and we tend to see ourselves, in other words, as the normal. We're the normal. And we tend to judge ourselves off of, or judge everyone else off of us. And so those above us, we tend to look at with like, with a little bit of jealousy maybe. Those below us, we can tend to think of with a little bit of arrogance. That's the way it kind of works. And, 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 and that's how it, that's the temptation that typically plays out. And if you don't believe me, Travel. Um, I want you to travel and go somewhere outside of your socioeconomic norm. As you do, let's pretend you go somewhere that is way above your socioeconomic level. I mean, it's, it's swanky, right? Um, you see people that seem, you know, they do seem a little snooty. You feel it. You feel it. Um, you might even be able to pick up on a little low-level low arrogance that everyone just walks through because it's just you're walking into this world and it's a different world than you're used to. And on the flip side of that, you may also travel to somewhere that is below your socioeconomic level. 
And what happens? You feel maybe a little bit uncomfortable. Your eyes are opened and, and, and you may not feel at home. You may have even this haughty attitude kind of arise in your own heart. It is crazy how travel can help you see clearly some of these things that we take for granted and that we don't see in our own community. And what Paul's doing here in this early church is to command to charge these people in this congregation who are on the wealthier side not to walk in arrogance, but in humility. To have the mind of Christ and to think of others is more significant than ourselves. One of the things I love about our church, and uh, Craig, as he led us through communion, did uh, just basically laid this out. And, and it just reminded me how much I love this about the church. The church, one of the things that sets us apart is our diversity. That people from every tribe, nation, tongue, socioeconomic level, come to worship Jesus. And, And here we have people from all backgrounds that come shoulder to shoulder to the table, the communion table, to remember the work of Jesus. My prayer is that people from every socioeconomic level will come and feel at home. That means that there's no VIP seating in the church. There shouldn't be. If there is, no. Um, There shouldn't be special treatment for those who have much. No, in Christ, we are one. We are one in Christ and diverse. Now, it's true we typically gravitate toward those who are like us, who dress like us, who sound like us who meet our norm, but in Christ we are reminded that none of those external things are worthy dividers for the people of God. Because in Christ we are one and we are called to be diverse. And that sounds really awesome, but let me tell you, do you know what that means? It means that often we are so messy It's so much easier to do life with people that are like us. It is so much messier when we do life with people who aren't. And as a church, we're called to the mess. We're called to be unified in our diversity, to do life with those who are different than us. That means racial barriers. We've talked about that. We've talked about age barriers. Even in 1 Timothy, we've talked about that. Well, it's even true with socioeconomic barriers as well. It's going to be messy at times, but it's worth it because we're one in Jesus. And so Paul is calling us here as the church, calling those who are wealthy to walk in humility, not arrogance. To walk in grace and humility with others because our worth, our value, our dignity is rooted in Jesus and not your bank account or your paycheck. Right? As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Um, Listen, before we get to the next command, I want to just cut right to it. As a pastor here at Stone Oak Bible Church, Stone Oak Affluent Community as we've seen, I want to tell you, listen, let us never be haughty or snooty. Ever. I pray that no matter how much you make, no matter what you drive, no matter your job, and I'm talking little or much, that you would not only feel welcome here, but feel like family here. And the way that happens is that we do not carry with us a haughty attitude or snooty from the wealthiest to the poorest. We are one in Jesus. No arrogance or snootiness has any place here. Charge them not to be haughty. Charge number two. 
we see this in our text, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us everything to enjoy. Charge them not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but instead on God alone who richly provides us with everything. This is huge. Um, I don't have a dollar bill with me because I seriously never carry cash anymore. Um, but you know what that dollar bill is? It's paper. It's kind of nice paper, fancy paper, but it's paper. It's easy to rip up. It's easy to light on fire. The value of it can go up and down. Sometimes markets look like EKG machines. Up, down, uptown. They even crash at times. That dollar can deflate and inflate. You might have a job today that is awesome, that pays you a lot of dollars. More than you deserve. And you may lose it tomorrow. Or that company that you love might go under tomorrow. You might, you know, strike gold, strike oil, only for it to dry up tomorrow. My point is not to scare you with this, but to make sure you know that, that those things make lousy hopes. And lousy gods. They are uncertain. We are never promised that they will last. It is fleeting. It can be here today and it can be gone tomorrow. No matter who you are, no matter how much you make, you cannot take it with you. Money makes a great tool for serving God, but it makes a lousy and uncertain God. no matter how much or how little you have, lousy hope. So in contrast, though, Paul puts this before us. Our God is eternal, meaning same yesterday, today, and forever. Never inflates or deflates. He's good. He's the sustainer, giver of life and giver of all good things in life. So that means when stock markets crash, he is still God. When you have nothing, he is still God. When you have lots, He is still God. When you have none, he is still God. In other words, God is certain through all of life, through all of eternity. He holds us fast, as we say. And I think this makes a huge shift in our brains. It moves our focus almost up a level. Our hope is not in the gifts of God. Our hope is in the giver of the good gifts, God himself. That's a huge shift Massive shift. There's a song that we sing often that says, there's no other sure and steady. My hope is held in your hand. When castles crumble and breath is fleeting, upon this rock I will stand. Glory, glory, we have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all. What I love, though, is this next part, the bridge of this song that proclaims out, in all my sorrows, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. In every victory, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. More than any comfort, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. More than all riches, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. What is that saying? What are we declaring when we sing that? What we're declaring is our hope is not in the gifts. Our hope 
is in the giver of the gifts. Jesus is better. So like Job, whatever we're faced with, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's the only way we can say that. Our hope is Christ in Christ alone and he will never be moved. Here's the thing though, that is much easier said than it is to live out. Much easier. Um, It is so easy in this life to put all of our hope and all of our confidence into stuff, whether it be money, relationships, health, whatever it may be. When all of that is so uncertain, no matter how conservative you are financially, no matter how healthy your lifestyle may be, no matter how healthy your relationships are, those things are uncertain in comparison to the certainty of our God. And if all of those things were taken away, you would still be secure in Christ with no uncertainty at all. That is our hope. It's a daily decision to place our trust in Christ alone, come what may in this life. Because our God is the giver of life and all good things. And I want you to notice that last phrase. It says, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. There's a joy here. There's a godly pleasure that comes from enjoying the good gifts of God. We don't worship the gifts, but we worship the giver of the gifts. I've used this analogy before, but it's like a good cup of coffee. It really is. Coffee is the greatest analogy for all things. Um, a good cup of coffee can absolutely be a worshipful experience. Now, not if that pleasure terminates with the cup of coffee. We're not worshiping coffee here. We're not creating some cult of coffee, all right? But if the enjoyment of that good gift, that good coffee, if the enjoyment of that can tilt our eyes up to our God, the giver of good things, then that cup of coffee can be a worshipful experience. It should be. God richly provides us with all things. We have so much to be thankful for. We're coming up to Thanksgiving and there's no better time to be reminded of this, to worship and place our hope in the giver of the good gifts and to be thankful. And so he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or snooty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Command number three, they are to do good, to be rich in good works. Okay, I'm not going to spend much time on this one because it is very, very, very straightforward. You have been given good things to and called to do good works with those good things. Often, you are called with the good works that God places in your hands to use them for good, Amen. for his glory. That's your calling, your wealth, your riches. They're not your own. They're given to you by God to be used for his glory. Um, And to those who have much, to those who, as Paul says, are rich in this present age, do good. Be rich not only in terms of your bank account, but be rich in good works. 
This is your call. To be clear, you're not saved by those good works. I want to be very clear about this. Um, Your good works do not save you. It's the riches of God's love, the riches of Christ's sacrifice for you. You are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ. You're not saved by your good works. You are saved to your good works. So do those good works. And those who have been given much, much is required. Use your good gifts for his glory. Be rich in good works. And then command number four, lastly, be generous and ready to share. This speaks to the tendency of our own hearts to be a little stingy, a little selfish, a little guarded, to hoard. Um, Listen, this is not not at all a charge against saving money. Please don't hear me say that, okay? Okay. This is a charge against stinginess. There's a difference. And living your life with a scarcity mindset. You know what a scarcity mindset is? It's it's this living your life under the constant fear that I'm not going to have enough. And so... I'm not going to have enough one day. And so we hoard. And, and do you know what the scarcity mindset reveals? It reveals where our hope is. Because here's the thing. If your hope is in the gifts, hoard them. Because they're limited resources. You have every right to hoard. But when your hope is in the giver... Of those good gifts, then stinginess and hoarding makes no sense and has no place. Because your God is unlimited, and you're able to live your life like this, knowing He richly provides me with everything to enjoy. It turns us from this to this when we understand our good God. We've been called to be a steward. One day, you, church, are going to stand before the Lord. And you're going to give an account for the ways and you have used what God has placed in your hands. And some of us need to be more generous. Some of us need to do this a little more. In our lives, our churches, our communities. Our hope is in the giver of the gifts, and because of that, we can open our hands. And so, if we were now to put these commands together, those who are wealthy, who have been given much in this life, do not be haughty or arrogant or snooty, because God is the giver of all good things. Do not place your hope or confidence in wealth, but in God alone, who richly provides everything you're ever going to need. Be rich in good works, meaning use those good gifts to do good works for his glory. And then be generous, open-handed with those in your life for the glory of God. These are the commands. This is the charge for us today from this text. And with those commands, we're given two powerful outcomes. What happens when we do these things? You ready? Verse 19, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So first thing, in doing these things, we store up for ourselves a different kind of treasure. 
Um, this is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 6, by the way. If you think of Matthew 6, he says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal. When you do these things, we store up treasure, eternal treasure that cannot be taken away. I know and I feel, all of us, we crave eternal significance. And often we chase it with crazy things like money and tem temporal things. And when we do these things, though, as Paul is laying out here, we store up a different kind of treasure, a treasure that is eternal. Paul says it lays a good foundation for the future. Again, we're not saved by these works, we're saved to them. As we follow these commands of the wealth God has given us, we are living into the eternal kingdom into which we have been called and, and nothing and no one can take away that treasure. And so notice the first outcome is about the future, the eternal treasure. But look at the second outcome. Thus storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So in a very real sense, eternal life is not something that we have just for then and later. We're called into abundant eternal life today. And through following these charges, Paul gives us, Paul says, we are able to take hold of the good life. Meaning we get to walk in abundant life today. And this is really big for me. I think we have seen those often who chase after fame, who chase after riches, looking for their identity and life and all these things. And yet time and time and time and time again, documentary after documentary, if you're a documentary person, I am too, we see none of those things satisfy. No amount of money is enough. No amount of power is enough. We chase fulfillment and purpose in eternity through all of these things. And yet every single time they fall short. Every time. Paul here is encouraging us, charging us, don't be haughty, arrogant, snooty. Don't place your hope and confidence in wealth. Use your good gifts for the glory of God and be generous. And when you do that, you take hold of that which is truly life. Do you want to take hold of that which is truly life? I hope you would say yes. Then stop living for yourselves like this. Open up and stop worshiping the gifts and begin to worship the giver of those good gifts. And we take hold of that which is the good life. When you live like this, to love God and love others over a selfish or self-referenced way of life, we're able to truly grab hold of that which is truly life, right. as Paul says. And, and by the way, Paul is speaking to the heart just as Jesus does back in Matthew 6. And so here's the question. Who do you love? God or money? Who do you love? The gift or the giver? Because you cannot love them both. You may hear that and say, yes, I can. And I'm going to say, Jesus says you can't. You've been trumped. All right? 
Verse 24 says you can, we, um, or verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one, despise the other. You, okay, cannot serve God and money. So choose this day. Who then you will serve? Will it be God? Will it be money? And I want to start us back right where we, um, or end us, right back where we started. That is nothing but a stat. Um, But what this stat does show and reveal is that we are faced with both a great temptation and a great opportunity. The temptation we face is to love our stuff and to find our identity in the stuff and to pursue our stuff and the security of our stuff and to find our purpose in obtaining more and more stuff. That's going to be the temptation. That's our great temptation. That is how the enemy wants to deform you today, to misshapen you today. That's our great temptation, to love money, serve money, chase it, and spend your time with those who are doing the same thing. That's our great temptation. But along with that, church, there is also a great opportunity. Our opportunity is this. You and I, we have been blessed. So richly blessed with so much. And we have given this incredible opportunity to use what God has given us for his glory. To live for something greater than ourselves. To not be haughty or arrogant, to place your hope not in wealth, but in God as the giver of all good gifts, to be rich in good works and to be generous and open-handed. We have such an opportunity in front of us today. This chart, yes, it does show us a great temptation, but I got to tell you, that chart shows us just how great the opportunity is that we have been given. I look out at our church, a church that I love, and a community that I love, but as I look out at you right now, I am reminded of Jesus' words. In Luke 12, everyone to whom much has been given, of him much will be required. We've been given much, and we, yes, may have the great temptation to misuse it, but there is also a great opportunity in front of us as well to use it well for the glory of God. And my prayer is that your desire would be, God, would you lead me in the way that I can use what you have given me for your glory, for something beyond myself. And so my prayer is that you would take this charge personally. As you hear this, I don't want you to hear it and go, oh, that was good for Jimmy John, right? Or I'm not going to fill in names. I get in trouble when I do that. Um, But that you would take this charge personally and understand the great temptation and the great opportunity that you have in front of you today to bring so much glory to our God. Let's pray together as we respond.
Lord, what a gift um, your word is. What a true, truly what a gift. I feel as though this morning your word has just dropped right into the craziness of our lives. And your spirit has spoken to us in such a relevant, applicable way this morning. And I pray for my brothers and sisters today. The, the issue here that your word has brought before us is not about the quantity that's in our bank account, although that can have an impact. The true issue is the heart issue. It's a worship issue. And, and what you're calling us to do this morning is to lift our eyes to you, the giver of all good gifts, to place our trust in you and to live our lives for the sake of your glory and for the sake of others. Whether we have been given little or as our text has shown us today, whether we have been given much. I pray specifically for my brothers and sisters who have been given much. I pray that you would provide them clarity on how to put what you have given them to use wisely. I pray that you would give them the ability to wisely discern how to invest in kingdom work. I pray that you would give them the courage to open their hands, to not be stingy. I pray that you would give us the ability to use everything that you have placed in our hands as just one more way that we give thanks to you and worship you. And lastly, God, I pray that if there is anyone here who right now you are just convicting for placing our love and our affection on um, the gifts rather than the giver, I pray that we would repent. Lord, would you forgive us when we love your gifts more than you? Would you forgive us when we try to use you to get more of your gifts? God, would you forgive us when we forget that you have placed those good gifts in our hands? Would you forgive us when we forget about you and make it all about us? Would you forgive us when we are stingy with what you have placed in our hands? Would you forgive us when we don't see our neighbor? Would you forgive us when we fail to worship you for the things that you have given? God, would you cleanse our hearts? And we know that your word tells us as we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive. And so, Lord, we stand now, not in shame, but forgiven. And I pray that as we respond today, that we respond with open hands. In Jesus' name, amen.